Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I'm the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morden. I'm the associate pastor at Memorial Baptist Church. And uh, this is a bit of a different thing for us recording remotely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, usually we're kind of in very close proximity in our radio rooms, so due to current circumstances, we have been providentially uh limited in our ability to gather so uh we're doing this thing we're doing the zoom thing yeah we are and which which means you're gonna get uh kids running around upstairs maybe on my microphone kids yelling downstairs on the microphone the zoom goblins tonight uh cut us off at 30 minutes and we'll have to reboot uh and do a little ugly little splice if any of those things offend you sorry yeah, not much we can do about it. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, you can call my cell phone, and uh, and that number will not be provided for you. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so here we are today, working our way through the chronological reading plan, still continuing in that, especially now that we have so much time on our hands. All the yeah. better time for catching up and and doing this sort of thing. Uh, so working our way through here. And we're kind of at a different spot, right? As far as uh, how the plan plays out. Yeah, yeah. So what we're starting to see now, uh, rather than kind of this like very uh, linear reading path that we've had essentially up to this point, now we're kind of jumping back and forth between the Samuels and the Psalms. And uh, so at first that might seem kind of disjointed, but what I want to remind people is that we're kind of getting the story from two perspectives here. We're getting the kind of third party overview of the narrative in the book of Samuel. And then we're getting kind of David's more personal reflection mm -hmm. in the Psalms, which he's writing uh, as he goes through these events that we're reading about. Yeah. So not only do we get the events, but we get the inside scoop on uh, what David thinks about the events. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, so the uh, the forest. What's the uh, what's the big picture we're looking at here, Marshall? Um, so the big picture that we were discussing um, is essentially the juxtaposition or the comparison between David and Saul. Right as we're as we're kind of reading the story of Israel, and we're in this time of transition where, you know, the God has turned his back on Saul and now the anointing has been placed on David, but we haven't seen the fulfillment of that. As we're kind of working through that time period, we see the difference in the kind of king and the kind of man that Saul is versus the kind of king and the kind of man that David is. Right. And that's not to say that uh, David doesn't, sh it's not to say, first of all, that Saul is completely horrible in everything that he does because he does do the work of the Lord. Uh, David is also not perfect, right? We're not talking about uh, one who is an absolute devil and the other one who is an angel. Uh, but there is a difference in the way they approach things, right? Oh, um, totally. Both, both can be impulsive. Uh, but ultimately, David seems to know his place in the redemptive narrative where Saul doesn't. Saul sees the work that's ahead of him and says, I have to accomplish this work. 
Uh, and so I have to figure out how that comes to pass. and I have to do it in my time, in my way. Uh, it becomes very impatient when it's not working out that way. Uh, whereas David understands God is not here to do his bidding. God is not he, he, God is ultimately his benefactor, but not in such a way that God's purpose is to be David's benefactor. Uh, that David is an agent inside of God's plan. God is going to bring about his plan, and David will benefit from that plan. Does that make sense at all? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, totally. And in the narratives that we're going to read, we're going to see that. Right? Yeah. We're going to see David's willis to submit to god's plan and let the lord work things out david trying to sit in the driver's seat and take the kingship for himself he's trusting that it's going to come about as god sees fit right yeah and so uh one of the things that i think this i think this is really applicable to a modern day uh scenario we see a lot of times people who come in and they want to claim uh God's providence uh, and God's power over the circumstance. I, you know, I declare this to be, this is what I want to happen. And so I'm going to call it uh, and I'm going to say in the name of Jesus. And that means it will happen uh, because I know that this is the best thing that could happen. Um, I, we're, we're hearing this even, even amidst the virus, right? People saying, you know, we declare that, uh, that this is a lie and that it's going to be conquered in the name of Jesus and uh, we defeat it even now. And, and you know, that's, that's a dangerous thing to do. That's such a dangerous thing to do because it might be that this is an agent in the hand of God to do something else further down the road in such a way that we can't, in our limited perspective, see. I mean, we, we can't see five minutes from now, let alone the long-term effects uh, for the glory of God that this could bring about as his agent. And so instead... We wait in it patiently, trusting that God is sovereign, submitting us ourselves to his sovereign will and saying, God, we're going to do everything that we can to be responsible inside of this. We're going to do everything that we can to follow you in this. But we're also going to remember that ultimately you're in control of what we have going on here. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, let's, let's start getting into the trees here. Let's sure. start getting yeah. into the, to the story. So right off the hop, the prophet Samuel dies. Yes. And so, which hold? I'm going to stop you there. Isn't yeah. it peculiar that the this book is called First Samuel and that there's a Second Samuel to follow, and Samuel's gone already? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I don't get it. Right? You'd think it'd be like First and Second David or something, right? Would be a more <laughs> right. fitting, right. more fitting uh, title. But I, it's First and Second Samuel. Yeah, yeah. So. So that kind of happens, and there's all sorts of different things going on. David is still on the run from Saul. Uh, he gets another opportunity to take Saul's life. He does. And, you know, one of his, you know, companions is like, hey, he's right here. He's sleeping. Saul and his men are all sleeping on this hillside, and David is, like, walking around while they're taking a snooze. And his spear is, like, at Saul's head it's like it's like right there and uh but but David essentially says look look Saul his number is going to get called but it's not going to be by my hand I'm not going to be the one to uh to kill the Lord's anointed king right yeah and, and even with people saying this is the means by which 
God is bringing about his plan, right? God has delivered him to you. Yeah. Yeah. But David, David won't have any of it. And uh, so he takes the spear and then, and then he kind of addresses Saul from a distance. And he essentially says, like, Saul, I recognize your value, the value of your life, and I'm unwilling to take it from you. So could you please stop trying to kill me? Right? Right. Reasonable request, I think. Hey, I got one question for you. Would you mind not killing me today? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean... I mean, we could, we could always do a sort of like, I've done this for you. Could you at least just throw me back that same sort of, same sort of opportunity, right? To not be right. living on the run. Right, right. Yeah, right. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. And one thing that I think David exemplifies here is, and, and in some ways he's modeling it, uh, but there, there is such a tension in trying to live in such a way that we act when we have opportunity to act for the kingdom work of God. And we pause when there is need to pause and wait. And boy, that's a tough thing to discern. Oh yeah. No, it really, it really is. So moving along with, with the story, uh, David ends up going to live amongst the Philistines for a while, but then ultimately, you know, battle lines are drawn and we see the armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines kind of gearing up for battle. And, uh, and so as these, as this is happening, you know, Saul is terrified. And so he's trying to seek answers on what it is that he ought to do. And he's not getting those answers from God because God is no longer aiding him in that way. And so he ends up turning to a medium. Yes. And against his own orders. True. Yeah. Cause he had actually banished all of, all of them, which was a good call by Saul. Let's, let's, let's give him some credit there. Um, But yeah, but then he ends up tracking one down. He ends up finding one and it's just, it's, it's one of the most bizarre scenes i think uh we've seen uh in a a while in in our reading yeah it's the first time in a while that we get this real head scratcher sort of what's not 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 a what's going on here because i mean judges caused us to scratch our heads quite a bit sure sure uh but but this is one of those where where it it even challenges theologies right it does like what do what do i know about what happens after death and and here we have uh, someone who is practicing witchcraft, whose purpose is to summon the dead. Uh, Saul, Saul brings a close to this uh, because he understands that this is not the will of God. Uh, but his impatience to wait upon the Lord, his desire to do things his way and in his time causes him to even choose what he has acknowledged is sin to bring about the work that he thinks needs to be done. Right. Uh, and, and just a, just a quick tip pro tip for everyone out there. God is never going to use sin to bring about his will. It's counterintuitive to believe otherwise that God, God would ever bring about his will by means of something that is by definition opposed to his will. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Right. So I think with this whole scene, I think there's, there's a couple 
I guess, subjects that are worth a little bit more discussion, right? The, the first of which is this whole question of mediums, necromancers, witchcraft, that sort of thing, right? Because the Bible doesn't say that people who are into these types of practices, the Bible doesn't say they don't have any power, that they're all faking it. It seems to point to there is something of a spiritual power of some kind at play here when this right. sort of thing is going on, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I, think, I think we'd be naive and it would be inconsistent um, the Christian worldview, which accounts for the supernatural, to think that there aren't similar things going on um, even today, even closer to home. Uh, in Canada, right, in 2020, this, this type of stuff, communicating with the dead and, and witchcraft and other types of things like that, are, are practiced. Um, and I think even are becoming more widely accepted. If if I can go as far as to say that in our in our culture right now, yeah, I I, I mean I think I think for sure one one of the things that I I love most I I put it out there the other day uh, a free audio version uh, for uh, um, C.S. Lewis and his uh, Screw Tape Letters. One of the things that I love about the intro to Screw Tape Letters is he goes out of his way to say we as Christians have to acknowledge that these things are real, but there's there are dangers in understanding. Uh, that we need to understand going into a discussion about uh, demons and demonology in that we, we don't want to ignore them, but we also don't want to give them more than they're due. Uh, so a good, healthy biblical balance is where we should stay. And, and there are people who make entire ministry careers out of these kinds of things, but it, it's befitting to notice that you can fit everything the Bible teaches us about the realm of angels and demons on just a couple of pages. Uh, it is, it is oh, yeah. acknowledged as a thing. What it is and how it operates is not talked about. And anything that gets into, because in, in, as soon as you say that, as soon as you say that, uh, if, if this were a sermon, you make a statement like that from a sermon, there will be the person after the benediction will beeline straight for you to the front and be like, boy, do I have a book article yep. or podcast for you to read. And, and in that, what they're going to give you is something extremely extra biblical. That is something that yeah. someone has created and are propagating as truth. Although these things are not biblical truths. And you just have to ask the question, on what authority were you given this? Generally, it's a right. personal revelation, uh, which is yep. always a questionable thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I experienced exactly that. I preached uh, the book of Judah preached a sermon on the entirety of the whatever it is 20 verses or so of Jude. And I had that exact same thing come up. And he said, Hey, I know that, you know, you warned against, uh, you know, people talking about spiritual things they don't fully understand, but I know this guy and he's got this great inside scoop and he wrote this book and I, I politely declined. You know, I had the excuse that I have enough reading to do for school. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real thing. It's a thing. It is. Right? It People is. are fascinated with this stuff. Yeah, so what exactly is so, okay, going so, on? I think the big answer is I don't know, but there are some shots we can take at it, so go ahead. Well, so, so the question, I guess, here, here's the big question for me, and I actually don't really even 
have a, a full answer to this. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because the idea is that, so they're, they're going to use this medium to summon the ghost of the prophet Samuel who has recently died. Yes. And so Samuel apparently appears and freaks out the medium uh she's like very disturbed <laughs> and right. so you know is this because it didn't normally work or is it because she recognizes who samuel is or whatever it might be but the whole idea of like can you communicate with the dead or was, like was this a demon posing as samuel or was this actually his ghost um and so i know that there there are views on both sides of that um i don't know like Okay, so I know I've, I've been prefacing this question a lot, but I'm going to just kind of share one other thing that, that I know, and then I'm going to ask you to maybe share some things that, that maybe you know and I don't. The Old Testament theology of the afterlife, of, of heaven and hell, isn't, it's progressively developed, as a lot of things are kind of progressively developed, the, the truths of the gospel and those types of things. And so... In the Old Testament, they have this concept of Sheol, which isn't, doesn't really seem to be heaven or hell. It's the grave, and it's where people go when they die, and it seems to be like where everyone goes. And like, what's, I don't know, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Like, what's that all about? Like, what do you think is yeah, sure. Sheol? Yeah. yeah, so so what we want to look at here is uh, we have this. This is going to be big, so buckle up. Okay. Uh, it's not a, it's not a hard thing to wrap your head around. It's just going to take a little bit of time, but okay. it, it it works like this. In part, what this is is it's a problem of translation uh, that happened for us. Uh, let's say sixteen eleven. All right, and uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so what what happened is this in in the King James Bible. Uh, they decided to take two different Greek words, Greek concepts on what hell is uh, and, or what the afterlife looks like and translate them with the same word. So the, the words they used uh, were Hades and Gehenna. And both of these words are translated in the King James Bible as hell. And, and other Bibles have fallen, followed suit after that. But what they've, what they've done in that is taken not just two words for a same thing and given them a common name, but they've taken two concepts and given them a single name, which creates, has created since then an entire confused uh, idea of the afterlife. This is also eschatology. Um, and so eschatology normally means at the return of Christ and the end of all things, but eschatology can also include the end of this life and the afterlife. And so we operate in this really confused uh, eschatology because it, by and large, I would say, but at least in part because of the King James Bible and this, uh, what I would call a mistake in translation, although no one has ever accused me of being a Greek scholar. So here's, so here's what happens when we die we do not go directly into heaven in such a way that we have uh we are in our eternal state our eternal place our eternal state that is one of the reasons why we know that these books about people that die and go to heaven or die and go to hell are wrong uh in in what they're saying people like oh well that's just your interpretation versus there no the bible very clearly teaches that there is a holding place, that there is the place that all the dead go to 
And it is not until after the judgment at the, the judgment of Christ, uh, which is the division of the sheep and the goats. It's not until after the sinners have been declared uh, to be sent into the lake of fire, which is hell, uh, along with death, and the righteous are declared righteous in Christ, uh, and then they would go to what is the new earth, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. That is, that is the, the ultimate form that many of these books and many of us think of that we instantly step into, right? Uh, but the Bible teaches that there's a holding pattern and, and this holding place the, in the New Testament at one point uh, is called Abraham's bosom. And so think of, think of Sheol. Uh, Sheol and Hades are, are essentially the same words, Sheol being the Hebrew form and, and Hades being the Greek form. And so this is where all the dead go. Now, uh, Sheol or Hades itself seems to be divided into two compartments. Uh, because if we think about the uh, parable that Jesus teaches about the Lazarus and the rich man, uh, and, and there are those who are in Abraham's bosom that is in the presence of Christ. So when we, do, when we die, we do step into the presence of Christ. Right. And there is reward and satisfaction and rest for our souls there. Uh, and the wicked are sent to a place of torment. Um, but all of this is sort of two rooms in a big building that is Hades or Sheol. Okay. And then after the judgment or after the return of Christ, sorry, after the return of Christ, then Sheol is emptied and everyone faces judgment. And then we have the eternal states in heaven and hell. Uh, so I, I would say that, yes, everyone that dies does go to, uh, to Sheol. And, uh, and so when David says, you know, he knows with confidence that he will join uh, his son in the place of the dead. He is, he's talking about a shield. Right. Right. No, that's good. I, th I appreciate you sharing that. Right. Cause this is a, this is a, you know, a complicated thing and a thing that I think is just so uh, misunderstood and misapplied. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I think, I mean, we might get some, some interesting emails just kind of wanting more elaboration and, and, uh, and discussion on that topic. But I think, uh, yeah, it's, that's, insightful i think and helpful for me anyways because it's something that i've been wrestling with so i'm i'm learning <laughs> uh okay great well do anything else we want to talk about this whole situation with the medium at endor or do we want to yeah i i would just say that i i think when people are practicing these kinds of things i think what they're doing and and this is again me speaking outside of scripture but in 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 a way that i have pretty good confidence i i don't inside of that parable of jesus that we've already referenced uh, there is a, a request to, for people to communicate with the living um, that Jesus denies or that is denied. Uh, and the reason it's denied is because it would, in the end, make no difference anyway. Uh, so I, I don't think that there's communication between this world, that w this life that we live, and Sheol. Uh, I think this might be an exception. I think generally what's going to happen is it's going to be some sort of communication with uh with demons posing to be loved ones uh yep. and and maybe that's why this lady trips a little bit when she sees that it actually is samuel um <laughs> and because because she doesn't just sort of do like yeah this is what i do and i i was doing this before you got here kind of thing right it happens and she flips out uh yeah. and and i love i love samuel's response right mm. he's like uh 
what are you bothering me for? Yeah. Yeah. Did you bother me enough when I was alive and now you're bothering yeah. me again? Yeah. 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 And he just essentially reminds him, hey, like God's not with you and you and your, all your sons are going to die. Yeah. So, so I, right. <laughs> so I would say, I would say this, uh, I would say we need to recognize that these things are things. They are people dealing with spiritual uh, elements that they ought not deal with probably not dealing with human spirits and ghosts in that sort of a way. I, I don't believe that that fits a biblical understanding of the afterlife. Um, I think more likely they are dealing with uh, deceptive demons. Um, but I would say this is probably an outlier in that. Uh, right. and, and I would also count an outlier to be the transfiguration um, right. where we have Elijah and Moses come to meet with Jesus on the mountain and they are seen by the disciples. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Actually, I never even thought about that because I, I was thinking how strange it is that someone would, would, you know, temporarily come onto kind of our physical plane of existence. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I didn't even make that connection. But now that you mentioned that, that's, yeah, that makes, that's a good, I guess, comparison or, or, or other story that has a similar kind of situation going on. So that's a good point. Um, Okay, so moving on through the narrative, I mean, essentially, what, what ends up happening is, just as Samuel says, Israel's defeated in battle, Saul's defeated in battle, um, he falls on his own sword rather than be taken by the Philistines. Um, so, and that's kind of how, how First Samuel ends. And then at the opening of Second Samuel... This guy comes to him, apparently from the battlefield, and tells David, hey, Saul's dead. Um, it was actually by my hand. And here, I brought you his crown. Like, right. are, aren't you so happy that, that I did this for you? Somebody, somebody's trying to get a seat in some sort of important office. Yeah. And, and so at first when I read his, his order of events, I was a little concerned. So I said, this is very different than what I just read a couple of chapters ago. But then I realized this guy's probably lying, right? This mm -hmm. guy is giving David the story that he thinks David wants to hear, right? Like, hey, look, I actually, it was by my hand that your enemy Saul was slain and I brought his crown to you to kind of make this whole transition of, uh, of authority that much easier. But David's response is not, what this guy expected at all no he in fact he doesn't even take the time to call him out and prove that it's a lie he's just like you know what get rid of this guy yeah literally and ultimately get rid of this guy yeah yeah and then david ends up singing a song of lament for saul and for jonathan mm -hmm. um and so you know again like david is just david's just a different kind of guy Right. Like, I mean, the, the person who was trying to murder him for the last few years dies and he weeps over it. Like, yeah. it's just it's yeah. And it's, it's times like that where you're like, OK, man, after God's own heart. I, I get it. I see it. I see it a little bit here. Right. Like. Yeah. And, and I think that the after his own heart part is just that he's willing to wait on God. And he's, he's constantly, constantly through the Psalms acknowledging 
that God is the one who's in control and he's going to bring this about and he's pleading to God. He's not taking things into his own hands. Uh, and, and that is just fantastic. I, I would encourage you particularly uh, if we can have just a private chat, uh, while everyone mutes this for a second, I would encourage <laughs> you to, uh, to really lean in on David, uh, and the way that he handles his position in Saul, uh, especially as people are inevitably coming to you and saying, Hey, you know what? We don't need this Tim guy. I uh, send him back <laughs> to the States. And uh, you're, you're our Canadian leader. Uh, it should be a Canadian leading a Canadian church. And it all makes sense. I would encourage um, you to lean on David and not Absalom. We'll get to Absalom later. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, with this quarantine, I may be forced to grow my hair out. So who knows, right? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, Okay, so then just to kind of wrap up the narrative that we're going to read, essentially, you know, one of Saul's sons is temporarily raised up as a king. He ends up being betrayed by a couple of his captains, and they kind of come to David with the same thing, like, hey, look, we killed your enemy. Aren't you so happy that we did this for you? And he essentially responds the exact same way and says, like, no, people got to learn. People got to learn. Don't kill David's enemies for him. He's not, that's not his jam. You're Um, not doing me a favor. Yeah. He's like, no, this is not, why should I be impressed? You killed him in his own bed. Right. right? Like why, why, why do you think that's going to impress me? That's not the kind of person that I am. Right. So anyways, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's an interesting kind of, kind of, you know, back and forth in all of this and, so, I mean, it's, what, a, what a rocky road it is from David's anointing by Samuel to him becoming king. Like it oh, is yeah, not, it's, not, it's nothing like you would expect. No, no. And I think there's something there, right? There's something to be said in that, mm-hmm. right? Like the Lord has promised, even in us, right? Like in, our, in the hope of our salvation, in his promises to, you know, to provide and sustain us, to, to carry us to the finish line, right? There's all these wonderful promises we have in scripture from God, but the way he brings that about is not generally the way we would expect or the way we would, we would want. Yeah. Right. So, so that's going to be our transition from this uh, section into the Psalms. And, and sure. let's go ahead and do this because we're supposed to get cut off at 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's hang up and then fall back on the other side. Let's do it. All right. So we're back. Little hiccup there in the recording, but we're here for the Psalms. So uh, the Psalms, as we've already discussed, are the, the journal. Uh, songs being written uh, by David. Uh, a lot of people push for journaling as a spiritual discipline. I think David's a great example of that. There is something good about writing down your thoughts and sort of tracking them. Um, any, any, anything inside the Psalms, like as a whole, that really stands out to you, Marshall, that, uh, that you'd point out here? I think uh, as a whole, like the, the group of Psalms in, in this week's reading, and there's probably close to 20. There's a good, there's a good number of them. Um, I love the, the breadth of emotion we see. I love that as we read them, particularly in the midst of the narrative that, you know, we see the variety of David's responses to the situations he's seeing, right? Like, so there are times where he's he feels distant from God. He's crying out to him, God, where are you? I need you. 
There are times where he's seeing injustice being done and he's saying, God, act, like defend defend the, the, the poor and the weak, right? And there are times where he's saying, God, don't let me fall into the same trap as my enemies, right? Don't let, don't let me be far, far from you. Like help me to, to, to see you as my source of refuge, right? So there's a, there's a wide variety of, of kind of emotions, which I, I really, really like. Yeah, one, one of the things that I would say uh, that makes this very different from the songs that we write in worship. And, and this isn't your classic, you know, trying to come against modern worship because hymns are better kind of thing. Like if people love to do the whole, like, you know, the modern songs just don't have this. That's not what this is. What, what I would, what I would point out in this, that it doesn't even, that I can think of off the top of my head really show up even so much in the, uh, in the presence of hymns is his ability to say, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on here. Um, and why are you doing this? Don't you know that this doesn't even seem right? Uh, we, we'll do things like, you know, in the good days and the bad, right? When peace like a river attended to my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Uh, and we recognize that God is sovereign and he is God and he is good. And the, whether we appreciate what's going on or not, but David goes so far as to say, I don't get it. And it seems like things are going the wrong direction here. Yeah. 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 And I think that is an interesting spiritual situation to be in. And it might be one that there isn't enough. I don't know. I don't know if there's enough room, like if we make enough room for that kind of feeling in the church today, you know what I mean? Like, I think we just feel this pressure to pretend as though oh yeah all of this makes sense and we can just kind of put this blanket um statement of you know god god's got it and and he does and we need to rest in the fact that he is a sovereign god and a good god and he is in control and he will see us through it but i think we need to be in a place where we we can we can share this doesn't make sense yeah and and i think the believer needs to understand that there's biblical grounds for them to go to God and say, God, this is what I think needs to happen. I don't know what the heck is going on here, yep. but in the end, you're God, do your thing, right? Yeah. That's the, yeah. I think that's a summary of most of the Psalms. Yeah, you're right. right because David never, never remains in that place. Of, no, no, no. Right. But, but he starts there. He right? walks He's, himself through it. Exactly. Right. So, and I think that we need to train ourselves to do that too, because I think um, wallowing in that or, or, or camping out in that doubt is not a good thing to do. Uh, but neither is kind of pretending that that doesn't even exist. That right. That's not a part of our reality. It is a part of our reality, but what are we called to do with those doubts? We bring them to the Lord. Yeah. Right. We don't shove them in a closet, nor do we nor do we just sit in the midst of them, but we, we bring them to God like we would bring anything else to him, right? Yeah, and so one of the reasons why we have so many psalms this time through is because there's a big section, the Psalms of Ascent, which are very short psalms. Uh, yeah. The reason they're called Psalms of Ascent uh, is, is because the, the Israelites would sing these going up into Jerusalem, uh, yeah. and, and so there was as they would ascend the hill, they would sing these things. 
probably not the purpose for David writing them. Uh, it's sort of in there as a footnote along the same lines as, you know, this is for the choir director to be sung with, you know, these instruments or to this certain tune. Those are the right. kinds of footnotes that are, are preserved for us. Uh, so it, it, it is likely that David writes these and the Psalm of Ascent is a tag added to it because that's how it was applied and where it was sung. Uh, but some really great stuff and some really short verses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I found myself as I was reading through the various psalms kind of singing along. Like, I, I was like, because like, there's, there's been so many worship songs or hymns that have been patterned off of these psalms. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like you get that opening line. Right. Yep. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of an interesting experience for me uh, just going through and just kind of like, oh, yeah. Right. Seeing how modern songwriters have used David's words. Well, pick one for us and read through it and uh, tell us why that particular psalm stands out to you. So the, my favorite psalm that I went through, it actually isn't one of the psalms of ascent. Uh, it's Psalm 19, and it's called The Law of the Lord is Perfect. So I'll read through it here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit from a circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, revealing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hmm. I just, I love... I love that because we've got this allusion to the general revelation, like the glory of God in nature that is expressed just in the general pattern of day and night and, and, and those sorts of things. And then we get into the special revelation, God's law, which is perfect. Right. And finally, we, we have a king who is doing what the kings were supposed to do, right? right. Who, who, is, who, is, who is reading and meditating on God's law regularly, who is, who is taking it and applying it to himself and using it as uh, the measure of how he is to rule. And so, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's fantastic to see, <clears throat> to see someone giving so much credit to God. That, yeah. that seems like it should just be understood, but he's the first 
in a while that we've really seen just say, hey, you know, it, it's almost, it almost goes back to sort of Moses and, and Joshua, right? Just the whole, this yeah. is, you know, Caleb, this is the word that God has given us and we will trust in it. It is good. And it's a theme that runs like Psalm 119, right? It's all oh, yeah. about the, the law of God and how good it is. Psalm 124 was one that I also had on my list. Just we would be nowhere without God. Yeah, it's such a, mm. a beautiful thing. It reminded me while you were reading that of uh, a quote from Augustine that I saw on Twitter this morning that said, uh, he who has Christ plus everything has no more than he who has Christ alone. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Anything that. else from that you want to point out since I cut you off? No, no, it's, it's just, I love, I love the, I love the, just the, the final verse, right? That's a very well-known verse, right? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's saying like, like the, I, I always think of like the meditations of my heart, right? So like, I, I feel like early on in the Christian walk, you know, we focus a lot on those external things that need to change those external sins, right? The, the things that we are actively doing that we ought not to be doing. Right. And then the words of the words of our mouths, right. We understand from James that like the tongue is a fire, right. And so it's difficult to tame and we need to be careful with how we speak and the things we do, but, but the meditations of our heart, right. The idea that the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in God's sight. Like that's something that it's hard for me to read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, let me share with you mine. I, for me, I, I grabbed Psalm 63. Uh, this is one of those Psalms that I've, I've loved for a long time. And, and it just is a kind of no brainer for me in this. Oh God, you are my God. And earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth they shall be given over to the power of the sword they shall be a portion for the jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The thing that I love most about this is just his utter dependency on God. He, he comes to it in such a way as to say, I am in a place where there is no satisfaction, not, not only satisfaction, but no sustenance apart from you yeah. and that's all that i need right that you're i i'm in need but i have you and there's nothing else 
that I would need. And, and that he goes on to say, your steadfast love is better than life. And that's why I praise you. I think a lot of times we get into this idea of praying that God would deliver us and saying, oh, well, of course God would deliver us because he wants us to worship him. And he wants to do the kinds of things that people approve of so that he can gain worship. But that's saying, no, 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 God, God doesn't need to earn my worship. God doesn't earn David's worship here. Instead, David says, your love to be in your presence doing your will is not uh, an add-on to my life. It's not the means by which I obtain a better life. It is life. Yeah. And to say that it's better than life means, so what if they slay me? What if my enemies come to me and God says, David's had his chance. I have another way that I'm going to go with this thing and I'm going to have his life taken. David says, so what? I'm in the yeah. presence and in a relationship with my God. And, and so I, I would encourage people, you know, when you're having a hard time, when you're struggling, when you're faced with things that seem like they're going to overcome you, remember in, in all of this, it's, it's been the theme throughout this whole podcast and all of the session. Uh, it was Saul that saw God as a means to bringing about what he thought was a right end. And it's David, the man after God's own heart, who says, no, God is righteous and holy. His plans, his ways are righteous and holy. I have been blessed with the opportunity to be a part of it. May the will of the Lord come to pass. And, and that, being in that presence, is better than anything I could create for myself or the continuation of life on my terms. Mm. That's a good word. That's mm. a good word. It's not mine, it's David's. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'll take it. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and it's produced by Alex Walker. Have a great week, everybody. Talk to you later.